Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. All right, let's yeah. go. Well, you know how we, you know we start things off here. <laughs> Cracking a delicious Sierra Nevada. Yes. I, I also have a glass of whiskey, and in true uh, our podcast fashion, I dropped my headphones in my whiskey glass. So... Uh, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we are professionals. Uh, well, there's a lot of exciting things to mention before we get into today's story. First, uh, we have a special guest that I'm really excited is here. Uh, very dear friend of ours, friend of the pod. I can only introduce him in the way that he he stated earlier today. Public library employee and New York-based actor... Amr Kodib. Hey, guys. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> it is a huge honor to be here uh, as your close friend, a listener, um, and so many other things. This is great. It's kind of cool to see the inside as well. I really love it. Oh, you're, you're, you're seeing uh, how the sausage is made. Uh, we are thrilled to have you here. Uh, I'm really excited to share this song with you. Uh, and we're happy to have you here for our two-year anniversary episode. Woo! Hot damn. Two years. Yes. Two years. It seems wild. Yeah. This Congrats, is our guys. 36th song. That's crazy. That we've been discussing. By the time this episode drops, we will also be putting up our new website, ywhpod.com. And with that, a new merch store. Woo! So for all the diehards, <laughs> we will have t shirts, hats, coffee mugs, stickers. I was saying to Amr earlier, windbreakers. Bucket hats for all you new Radicals oh, fans out there. I mean, even if you're uh, not a hardcore listener and you just like comfy t-shirts, or maybe you're in a very breezy part of the country and you need to have something to protect from the, the wind, you need a breaker of sorts, we have you. We got you. <laughs> While we have this pause uh, here, you sound, Mike, you sound nasally. Is that just you? You sound, your audio sounds a little off. It might just be how it's coming through here. Right. Uh, I did a lot of yelling yesterday. Okay. Uh, the Liverpool game was very exciting, and then uh, and then Woo! we saw Vandaliers last night. So that's right. How are our boys? Uh, that's a very like sing along band. They're great, man. Yeah. They're great. Yes, that's a big day for you. It was a big a day. Seven zero win for Liverpool, followed by the Vandaliers. I mean, is life worth living after? Uh, I know it was. Uh, it was a it was a fucking great day. Went on a bike ride. Went to the park. Wow. Uh, it was man. awesome. Yeah, had a really great day. Today is also a great day. I just couldn't think of a better song to talk about with our friend Amr. I'm very intrigued. Here it is. <laughs> wow. Mm. <laughs> oh. Yes. We gotta at least get the chorus. What a great choice. I love this band, so I don't think I would have picked this song ever because to me they're just like a great popular band, but great choice because it is a weird song and it is out of nowhere for the time period. It's a weird song. I gotta say, I thought y'all were gonna hit me with some walk like an Egyptian <laughs> shit, and I was like, all right. Oh no. If they do that, I'm Egyptian for folks who, who don't know. Um, I was like, all right, I'll just I'll go with it. They're my friends. So like with those expectations, I have just been blown away. <laughs> blown away. One of my favorite albums ever. Like top ten albums ever. Yes. God, I would hope you think more of us. Well, it does it meets <laughs> the requirements, right? Oh, it definitely does, but <laughs> speaking of Egypt though, uh, I want to mention at the beginning episode and at the end so that people check it out. Amr is part of a great new podcast that takes place in Egypt, uh, and it's the first fictional podcast that I've ever listened to, and it is fantastic. I love it. Thank you. It, long Night in Egypt. 
Long night in Egypt. Very long <laughs> night. Seven episodes in. The le- the night has not ended yet. I think I'm so, on episode four. How about that? Uh, and I've been really enjoying it. Uh, Amr, your acting is fantastic. Uh, it's it's funny. It's creepy. It's uh, it's good. I like it. Yeah. Uh, it's a horror comedy. And I had a moment the other night where I was the only one home and I was doing the dishes and I was listening to it. And I had to turn it off. I was getting a little freaked out. Wow. And I was like, wait, I'm oh, in this. Like, I know <laughs> it's not real, but just freaked me out so you know be ready for that if you check it out wherever you get your podcasts um you can listen to them back to back they had a new episode out today so yes there will be more by the time this comes out that's right (laughs) well it's time to talk about weezer this song is by american rock band weezer it's from their eponymous of many eponymous (laughs) debut album uh they have several albums called weezer uh, this is the Blue Album. And the single was released on September 7th, 1994, which would have been Buddy Holly's 58th birthday. Oh, wow. Oh, whoa. That is a yeah. deep cut fact. Oh, the parallels are coming. Oh, it would have been his, his what? His 58th birthday? Yeah. Yeah. That's so fucking weird. Yep. We all know who Weezer is. Um, they're an iconic band. Uh, but I do kind of feel like and this is somebody who has listened to them for a long time. I feel like they're a little bit shrouded in mystery and definitely shrouded in eccentricities. Like I've listened to this album countless times. Um, my, the first uh, baseline that I ever learned was only in dreams, which is the final oh. track on the album. Yes. I've seen them many times, uh, but I feel like I don't know much about their hit early history or how they formed. Uh, and I figured I'm not alone, so I'm going to start with the Weezer origin story. You're not alone, because as a big fan, I actually don't know a ton about them. As a big fan as well, and also you consider our age, uh, they've really just been relevant the entire time we've been conscious. Yeah. Uh, and somehow <laughs> all true. three of us don't know anything about them. I mean, from Blue Album all the way to... The, I mean, I feel like they're, they put out these weird, shitty albums every couple months now, but... Yeah, we still know anything about them. <laughs> the the Weezer we're about to talk about is quite different than the Weezer of today, um, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit later on. But I will say, among other sources, I pulled a lot of this story, the 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 Weezer origin story from an oral history of Weezer that was published in Magnet Magazine in 2014, which uh-huh. was edited by Jonathan Valenia. Mm-hmm. Uh, drummer Pat Wilson said it's the best history of Weezer that he's ever read. Um, another excellent source was Weezerpedia, a fan-made online open-source encyclopedia about Weezer. I love the um, fans. It looks just like Wikipedia, but it has the Weezer W emblem on the puzzle globe. Otherwise, <laughs> it looks exactly like I it. I have to type that in right now. Yeah, right. I got you. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I love this. Oh, I went down some rabbit holes. It's oh, great. Like, wow. There's yeah. so many things. They're like, there's like a page about a dog that's in a music video, and it's just like, it gets crazy. They're this totally ripping off Wikipedia. Holy shit. Like, oh, damn. yeah. I'm I'm waiting for the like. Can you give us five dollars? <laughs> <laughs> can you give Rivers Cuomo five dollars <laughs> so that he doesn't make any more Toto covers? Um, that was okay. Speaking of Rivers, Rivers Cuomo is the frontman of Weezer. He was born in New York City in 1970. His family moved around a lot, and they eventually landed in Mansfield, Connecticut, which contains the Village of Stores, which is where the University of Connecticut's main campus is. And in 2015. Slate named it America's best place to avoid death due to natural disaster. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's a good, now that I'm of the age where I'm looking to buy a house and thinking about where to live next, like you do have to consider those things. So I'll see y'all in store, Connecticut. <laughs> sure. Uh, former home of Rivers Cuomo. Uh, according to one account, Cuomo's mother named him Rivers, either because he was born between the East and Hudson rivers in Manhattan. Oh, that's cool. Or because she could hear a river outside her hospital window. However, his father, Frank Cuomo, uh, he was actually a musician who played drums on the 1971 album Odyssey of Iska by jazz saxophonist Wayne Shorter, who passed away this past week. Um, He says that Cuomo was named after three prominent soccer players, Rivellino, Luigi Riva, and Gianni Rivera, all of whom were playing in the 1970 World Cup. Wow. 
But his dad ended up leaving the family in the mid seventies, so I'm really not sure how much we can trust him. Yeah, but I, I I don't I didn't know that uh, Rivers was born in New York. And is it true? I didn't either. New Yorker. Uh, yeah. Is there any connection to the Cuomo family? The, I don't mm, think so. Not question. from what I can tell. I never not connected the two tell. because they're yeah. polar opposites. Uh, Should we ask Wikipedia? <laughs> I feel like it would have came up, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, type in uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo into Weezerpedia. Let's see if he comes up. <laughs> I also love that he was born in New York, and his mom okay. his mom heard River outside, so she named him River. Where like he easily could have been named like Taxi Cab Horn or Subway. But also, like, all the things you New could York hear is so loud. Door. There's no way you can hear the river. <laughs> yeah. There's no way you can hear the river from a hospital in New York. Like, there's some no some hospitals are on the river. It's, I mean, sirens, sirens, Cuomo would have so. worked though. That'd yeah. be cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rivers's parents were Buddhists, and they were part of one of the first ashrams, which is a Buddhist commune in America. Uh, it was called Yogaville, and it was in Rochester, New York. And it is now located in Virginia and still called Yogaville. And it is, Yogaville is counted wow. on the U.S. Census. Wow. It was what Rivers described as rural and agrarian. He did a lot of manual labor, and he's been practicing yoga and meditation his whole life. Uh, he did end up going to public high school, and he was picked on because one of his legs is shorter than the other, and he had to wear special shoes. Mm. Um, he refused to inflict physical harm upon anyone, uh, so he didn't do much to defend himself, which he said would freak people out because they'd try to fight him, and he would just stand there, and then they they just let him go. <laughs> Uh, so he was a pretty quiet, reserved kid. Except he was a massive Kiss fan. Mm. Oh, yeah. It begins. He says, The first time I heard Kiss, I was living at the ashram. There were all kinds of people who had just come through and visit the Swami there. People from all over the world. One time, when I was seven years old, this girl showed up, and I remember her name was Shanti. She was black, and she had Kiss rock and roll over. And somehow, as the record was playing... We recorded ourselves running around in circles listening to it. For years after, all I had was this cassette tape of Kiss playing in the background with us kids screaming and running around. Oh, wow. <laughs> also, how many people in the United States of America do you think could say, quote, the first time I heard Kiss, I was living in the ashram? Yeah. <laughs> One. <laughs> Maybe two. <laughs> yeah. We're really getting underneath the surface of this enigmatic man. Oh, we are. Uh, Rivers started playing guitar so that he could play Kiss songs. In fact, he said that if it weren't for Kiss, there would be no music. Uh, and I know you're both very familiar with the song In the Garage, which mentions Kiss and its members. Sounds like it was quite autobiographical. Hmm. Rivers was a member of the high school choir, and he performed in a school production of Grease as Johnny Casino. <laughs> uh, he also changed his name in high school to Peter Kitts. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, but his uh, stepfather, who his mom married after his dad left, his last name was Kitts. After graduating, he went back to his original name. Hmm. One of his earliest music projects was the glam metal band Avant Garde. Wait till you see the band. You see Rivers. He's right in the middle of the Oh, yeah. Their, their logo is like just perfect hair metal 80s. Oh yeah, Their hair is the yeah, description of hair metal ladies. I mean, Rivers' hair is unbelievable. Oh wow, that is that's some stuff. Kind, yep, kind of reminds me of the stuff that some forty one would play, like going to totally, yeah. yeah, totally. I thought yeah, good. it's well, it sounds like Iron Maiden. I know that that's what some forty one. Um, in 1989, Avant-Garde moved to L.A. Because that's what you did when you were a glam band in the 80s. <laughs> uh, and they changed their name to Zoom. And then they broke up in 1990. Uh, I mean, that was not a good time for hair metal. It was definitely on the way out. Uh, during this time, Cuomo uh, also attended Santa Monica College. And he got a job at the Tower Records on the Sunset Strip, which oh, wow. is also very glam wow. metal. <laughs> Iconic. <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised uh, by some of these, like, kind of generically popular things he was into because he always seems like such a counterculturist yeah. kind of, mm-hmm. even though he makes you know poppy songs. He just seems like a music lover, to be quite honest. Like everything I've read, 
that's just his thing. He just loves music. When he was working at Tower Records, his coworkers introduced him to the Pixies, Sonic Youth, and Nirvana's Bleach, as well as the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds, which all had a massive effect on him. I can see, I can see Weezer being born out of that a little bit. Yeah, of, I can too. Um, definitely Pixies, for sure. Rivers had gotten quite skilled at playing hard rock guitar, and he uh, was working uh, with a bass player from Buffalo, New York, named Pat Finn. Drummer Pat Wilson had followed Pat Finn from Buffalo to Los Angeles. They all started playing basketball and drinking cheap beer together with their good friend, Johnny Knoxville. Oh, what? Yes. <laughs> that Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> yeah. That is a well, factoid. <laughs> Pat and Rivers moved in together with a third roommate named Matt Sharp. When Avant-Garde broke up, uh, Rivers asked Pat Wilson to start a new band with him. And Pat invited his friend Jason Cropper to play rhythm guitar. And Jason said uh, the story of them meeting was when he got to L.A., Matt and Pat were working at a telemarketing place selling dog shampoo, and they got him a job there. (laughs) Wow. Uh, (laughs) Uh, But Rivers said that they wouldn't rehearse until they had 50 songs written. So he and Pat got to work. And before that, Pat had mostly been spending his time smoking weed, drinking coffee, and learning Rush bass lines. This little band that they formed was called Fuzz. Fuzz. Hmm. Okay. Fuzz. And then then they broke up. Then they got back together. And this time they were called 60 Wrong Sausages. Mm. A little different from Fuzz. (laughs) Yeah, it could go a lot of ways. It's an off-putting name. It's so awkward and not desirable. It's bad. It's not desirable it's to bad. say. It's not desirable to imagine. It's not desirable to eat. <laughs> Why yeah. 60? Why would I listen to it? Yeah. I don't know. According to Weezer webmaster and archivist Carl Koch, I don't know if you guys know who Carl is. They call him the fifth member of the band. Uh, mm. I remember going oh, on their God. website and he would write like long blogs all the time. Wow. Um, he says they never made it to 50 songs. They got to 32 and they grew impatient. So they made a ton of demos of the songs they did have. And they let their roommate, Matt, hear Undone the Sweater Song and The World Has Turned and Left Me Here. Oh, both of which, Makes both you think of which, driving to school in high school. Yes. Both of which would end up on the album we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and Matt was a bass player. He loved it and he joined the band. Matt had a very interesting upbringing as well. Uh, he was born in Thailand and uh, he only lived there for a year and then moved to the D.C. Burbs. His father worked for the U.S. government uh, during the Vietnam War, and he was interviewing insurgents in Thailand to find out why they were rebelling. He got to go back to Thailand uh, to play a show with Weezer, but I think it was his first time back there since he was born. The touring company, he said that uh, they were with, uh, with Weezer, seemed to be interlinked with the Thai mafia. Mm. And he said that everywhere that they went, uh, people were terrified of the people that were with them wow. while they were being toured, you know, they're touring around the country. Um, he <laughs> said that they, they landed and the touring company met, a, met them at the gate, ushered them past customs, and the guards were carrying M16s and they turned their backs so they could walk through. They said so they had a police fuck? escort everywhere they went. And they Wait, got. Sorry, I might have missed something. This is we- when Weezer toured yeah. in Thailand. Yeah, simply because of the bass player's like father's career. I'm not sure. It, it this was all part of one thought, so I think yeah. so. Huh. Um, they he said that when they got out of the airport, and there's there's a TV reporter with a big light on the camera pointed at him and said, "How does it feel to be home?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, the band was pretty heavy at first, as you could imagine. Rivers cites Nirvana's Bleach as a major influence on early Weezer. And if you ever listen to Nirvana's Bleach, it is heavy as hell. Hmm. Uh, we talk about it uh, a little bit in our Smells Like Teen Spirit episode. However, after playing for about two months, they gravitated toward major, major keys, beautiful choruses, and Rivers started singing more cleanly like he did in the school choir. This is, this is where the, uh, the pet sounds influence mm-hmm. comes in, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. They were having trouble getting shows in L.A. because uh, in 1991 in L.A., uh, there were a lot of bands and not enough clubs for all the bands. Uh, Rivers 
kept harassing a guy named Casey who uh, was running Raji's in Hollywood. And he just kept asking if their band could play. Finally, one day he gets a call and he says, Keanu Reeves' band Dogstar is playing tonight and the opener canceled. Do you guys want to play? <laughs> <laughs> and Rivers said, yes. And then he said, what are you called? And he said they didn't have a name because they had stopped using the sausage's name. And he, and he just blurted out Weezer, which was his what? dad's nickname for him. I don't know if it was his dad or wow. his stepdad. I don't know if it was the dad oh, that wow. left or his stepdad. Um, yeah. And he said that when he went to uh, tell the band, hey, guess what? We're called Weezer. They were not thrilled. Uh, <laughs> in hindsight, it's a great name. Worked out well. Yeah. That show, uh, Weezer's first show, was March 19th, 1992. Getting into the, the band name a little bit more, uh, Matt Sharp said, the thing that was unique about the name is that uh, there was just pure abuse when we were passing out flyers at clubs. He said, there's certain names that people just like to say. So people would scream at us, Weezer, and then crumble up the flyer and throw it at us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they sent demos around to labels, and all the labels passed. Uh, Rivers considered breaking up the band and going to college. And then their demo of this song started making uh, it around town, and people started showing up to gigs. Yes. It's a little slower. Yeah. I like it. I think it's a little more Nirvana-esque. Definitely has some Nirvana vibes. Feels dressed down. Look at Rivers' long hair in the front. He's standing in the front. Oh, shit, yeah. Not nearly as uh, puffed up as the last photo we saw. Yeah. He does look different. Not as much hairspray. The uh, kitchen so, tape. Yeah, the kitchen tape was the demo that was going around, and Say It Ain't So was a quick favorite among uh, Los Angelinos. Call Rivers uh, at 310 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's great. <laughs> The band was in denial of their local success at first, and then an A&R guy named Todd Sullivan heard the song and signed them to Geffen Records, the same label as Nirvana. This was 1993. Uh, I really like this bit about early Weezer that uh, Johnny Knoxville shared. Uh, he basically was saying that, like, I know, right? He said, I can't tell you how many of Weezer's shows I went to in the early days at Club Dump or The Gaslight. Fun fact, I've sang karaoke at The Gaslight oh, in no Santa Monica. Ooh. He said it was crazy when they blew up because the week before me, handsome Jack Pollock and two or three other people were the only ones at their show. <laughs> then they get signed <laughs> and at the next show a week later, people are lined up around the block. It was nuts. What do you think that is? Like, in that time, would would you get signed to a label? Would it just like, where would it get out? Was it yeah, immediate yeah. label help? Well, because there were fewer bands then. And like people all knew each other, and they like I feel like you would know when a local band signed to a big label, mm -hmm. like that. That's that a good point. You knew yeah. who they were like that band Weezer that kept handing out those shitty flyers. They got signed together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because everyone's in the scene. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Geffen wanted to get Weezer a cool producer for their first album. Do you guys know who produced the Blue album? No idea. Is it Ruben? No, he produced some later Weezer stuff. Yeah, okay. I knew he was involved. Uh, yeah. It's uh, Rick Ocasek, frontman of beloved power pop band The Cars. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Is that like the one that's in commercials a lot? I'll get you, Jess. Yeah. Makes you think of a Sherwin Williams commercial for paint. Oh, <laughs> I bought some paint there. Oh, wow. Oh, all right. It was, it was lovely. So he was in LA producing another record, and uh, Geffen got him a the demo, the kitchen demo. And he was very impressed, and he agreed to meet with the band for practice space. He had no idea what they looked like, and he expected them to look like a metal or grunge band. <laughs> and they were dorks. Uh, and they learned the Cars' 1978 hit, Just What I Needed, and played it just to mess with them. Oh, wow, oh, wow. I would, have, I would pay to hear that. <laughs> yes, me too. I feel like his Rivers' voice would be perfect for that. It would too. Yeah. I think it's like right in his sweet spot. Uh, Rick said that the practice was one of the loudest things that he'd ever attended. He knew immediately he wanted to make the album. 
Uh, and the band really credits Rick for tightening up their sound, giving them more pop sensibilities. Uh, they assert that it would have been a much weirder album without Rick's influence. Mm. Um, they recorded the album at the famed Electric Lady Studios in New York, Ooh. which was built by Jimi Hendrix in 1970, wow. shortly before his death. I've mentioned it before, but I saw Radiohead there. Yes, that's oh, right. Cool. Yeah. I've never been, actually. I'd love to go. Yeah, very cool. Um, at the time, it was the only, like, at the time when Jimi Hendrix opened it, it was the only artist-owned studio in the world. No shit. Damn. Wow. Yep. Rick wanted to record the album there because it sounded warm yet powerful, just like the demos that he fell in love with. Hmm. Unfortunately, rhythm guitarist Jason was not really getting along with the rest of the band. Uh, I saw some stories of him, like, running to the rooftop and just yelling being totally chaotic the final straw was when his now wife who was not his girlfriend at the time showed up at the studio out of the blue from la to tell him that she was pregnant Uh (laughs) (laughs) and uh rivers couldn't take the chaos anymore and jason actually seemed relieved and i believe that they are still friends so it was kind of rivers call which makes me think of a question that i think both of you must have some awesome insight on how is it that so frequently the lead singer is often the man, the leader of the band? Is that just like, I know a lot of times it's not, but a lot of times it is like, just, is that just because yeah. you're the lead singers, people start to put it on you or do lead singers often have a certain kind of personality? Uh, I think that's the latter is most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, also in many bands, not all bands. The lead singer does the majority of the the songwriting. Uh, okay. So I think that has a lot to do with Makes it. Sense. There are definitely some different scenarios. And I've worked with bands where like you would think it would be the lead singer, but the one that's really running the business is like the rhythm guitarist or the drummer. The drummer. <laughs> it's always a drummer. 90% of bands I've worked with, the drummer is the most like level-headed, yeah. business savvy. 100%. From, the, from behind the scenes, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of it is, though, just like the singer is, yeah, usually the songwriter, or he's out yeah. there, he puts the band together kind yeah. of thing. And, like, this is not true for all bands by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of bands, the singer is irreplaceable, and every other band member mm-hmm. is in some way irreplaceable. never thought about all these things. Are you talking about a key man clause? Well, no, I mean, like, <laughs> just, like, vocally, even. like <laughs> I know, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've seen famous examples of people being replaced, yes, but... yeah. Um, ACDC. Yeah, but it's just like, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of rhythm guitarists out there that can be great for this job. There's not a lot of River Cuomo's. That's a good point. Yeah. The voice is the voice. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So on the last day of recording, Rivers told Rick that Jason was out of the band, and Rivers said he wanted to re record all of the guitar parts himself. Oh, wow. And Rick said, We don't have time for that. <laughs> Rivers said, Let me just try. And he did it all in one day. And Whoa, it. I did not think that's where that story was going. Damn. Yeah. All of the guitar parts on Blue Album are Rivers, and about half of them were done in one day. What a G. Wow. Yeah. And that brings us to the topic at hand a song that almost didn't make the mm. record. Oh. Buddy Holly. <laughs> it was not Rivers' favorite song, but Rick, it was his favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and he insisted that it would be on the record. And this is the demo that Rick had heard that he urged them to re record for the record. Oh, this is fascinating. Whoa. God. Damn. Yeah. That's incredible. It's very droney, it's sludgy. Mm. Yeah. Very crunchy. It almost sounds like a baritone guitar, or like he's playing chords on a bass. It's so low. It's guttural. Melody and everything that was dead on. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, that was amazing. I really yeah. liked that. Yeah. The uh, sounded almost like a, a sound effect from Sonic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Right? Yeah. yeah very, we, Rivers was very influenced by Sonic the Hedgehog. 
Who wasn't? <laughs> I was more of a Crash Bandicoot guy myself, but you know. <laughs> okay, all right, that's fine. That's oh yeah, say Mario. Amr and I were both Genesis kids. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Not a lot of us out there. I, know. I forgot about that. My dad got it at the pawn shop he worked at. <laughs> <laughs> I got it for winning the spelling bee in first oh, grade. Oh, wow. yeah, my, my that gift. rules. That rules. And I, I played Sonic 2 and ate bags on bags of chips with my sister <laughs> all night. And it was one of the greatest nights this of my childhood. Oh, I'm this encapsulates you both of you guys like... so well. <laughs> yeah, really pawn does. shop dad bought something with cheap. And spelling bee winner here. (laughs) Rivers originally planned to exclude the song from the album. He felt it was cheesy and did not represent the sound he was pursuing for Weezer. Rick felt otherwise. In the book River's Edge, which is a book about Rivers Cuomo, (laughs) uh, Rick Ocasek said, I remember at one point he was hesitant to do Buddy Holly, and I was like, Rivers, we can talk about it. Do it anyway, and if you don't like it when it's done, we won't use it. But I think you should try. You did write it, and it's a great song. And Matt Sharp, their bassist, said, Rick told them they'd be stupid to leave it off the album. And he said they came into the studio one morning, and there were a little piece of paper with doodles on them everywhere that said, We want Buddy Holly, <laughs> in all caps. <laughs> wow. Uh, Most of what I'm about to share from Rivers is from the liner notes of Alone, the home recordings of Rivers Cuomo, which is where the demo we just heard is from, was a collection of old demos that were released in 2007. He says, I was in the Santa Monica College Choir, and I met a kid named Steve Graff, who lent me his Korg keyboard. Inspired by its goofy synth sounds, I decided to write some new wave-influenced songs. The chorus melody, though, I came up with as I was walking through the lawns of the campus. The melody was in time to my steps. The lyrics I struggled with, trying to find the right reference point. An early version read, Ooey, you, you look just like Ginger Rogers. Oh, oh, I move just like Fred Astaire. Oh, oh wow. another Fred Astaire drop. Call back to last episode. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, putting on the Ritz, Fred Astaire. Uh, do you guys know what this song is about? No. I'm just going to just say no right from the get-go. Love it, though. Buddy Holly. It's not about Buddy Holly. I have no idea. Is it like him being with a girl and like his friends don't like that he's with that girl, maybe? Yeah. uh, Essentially, yes. Uh, There are a few different iterations of the story, so I'm not exactly sure what is true. But the core of it is that uh, it was actually a platonic girlfriend of Rivers uh, Mm. named Kyung Hee. Uh, she is Asian and, uh, she was also in the Santa Monica college choir with rivers and he was bringing her around all the time, hanging out. And I've read that it's friends of his. And then I've read that it's bandmates were saying some racist shit about her. Oh, what? Uh, that's why the lyrics are like very confrontational. Like he's like, like the beginning almost sounds like a easy E song. He's like, What's with these homies dissing my girl? Like, why do they got a front? <laughs> Which is so ironic because it's <laughs> Rivers Cuomo, who's this like skinny, nerdy white guy with a one leg that's yeah. shorter than the other. <laughs> he had to have known he was being funny. Right? Oh, that's for sure. It's very well, tongue in cheek. Yeah. Especially because yeah. gangster rap was like, that was like the peak of gangster rap at the time. Yes. Um, and yeah, he's putting his foot down saying that like, that's not cool to talk about. He makes it a love interest in the song, but it was a platonic friend. Huh. So that's not cool to talk about her like that. Um, mm. Did she look like Mary Tyler Moore? No. Uh, from what I could tell, he was just pick. He was like, people can't mess with us. We're two really cool people. Like, that's what he was going yeah. for. Okay. Cool, likable people. There is a lyric in the song that perhaps Amr ha- would know because he, I know he's, he's listened to it many, many, many times. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if these were actual things that were said, but I assume so. Uh, the lyric is... Oh, yes. And I think he's okay. quoting yeah, the people who said that and then saying to them, you need a guardian. Like, I'll I'll protect you. I'll be your friend. I'll kick their asses, basically. Wow. The song, like, I didn't know I could love this song more, but I, I am yeah. loving it it's, more. It's... Yeah, I'm, it's amazing. I feel like it was pretty bold to actually put that language in there because um, it's offensive. It's Tongue is twisted. quite offensive. She, yeah, she uh, must never actually picked up on that line. She, she, English must have been a second language for her. Yeah. And yeah. Huh. Yeah. 
So just another song on this podcast that has something to do with racism. There's been many. It's everywhere. <laughs> it really is. Uh, art imitates life. Um, he addressed writing songs about tension in the band. But I couldn't tell if he was talking about Buddy Holly, so I still don't know if it was actually the other band members that were being racist. Mm-hmm. But he says that he rarely wrote songs about tension between him and the guys in the band because he thought it'd be awkward to perform them live. It's incredibly so, reasonable opinion. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> uh, and then I could also see if this, he was like super pissed off and he's like, now nah, fuck you guys. I'm going to write a song about this. <laughs> well, maybe it was that fucking rhythm guitarist. Maybe it was. Yeah. Yeah. As you could also hear it, the uh, demo was much slower. Uh, and actually, the uh, one that they recorded was slow and they sped it up during mastering. Oh, wow. I think yeah. I like it faster now that I know the story. There's some more ang- angst in there. Yeah, me too. Uh, River said that he's always loved big, fat, heavy guitar sounds. And whenever he writes those kinds of songs, he ends up playing it too slow. And then whenever they play it back on tape, they say it's a little too dirgy. Mm. <laughs> the lyrics at the end, uh, the bang, bang down yes. on the floor. That's the homies have showed up at his door and they. They knock him over, his shoe falls off, which I assume is a reference to his special shoes that he was wearing because <laughs> one leg is shorter than the other. Uh, and we are given a, an image of a Macho Rivers mm. getting his ass kicked, trying to protect his friend who is in need. Love that. Wow. Yeah. Because what did he say? Bang, bang, down on the floor. What is it? Yeah, don't look now, but I lost my shoe. I can't run. I can't kick. Yeah, what's he's just matter, like, babe, are you he's like, what's sick? the matter, what's the matter, what's the matter, what's the matter, what's the matter, And he couldn't run and he couldn't kick because of his disability. It's amazing, really. Like, you're, you're really building out the depth of appreciation for this song. It's really <laughs> cool. It really is really cool. Yeah. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Yeah. Going to take a quick second away from this fun chat about a killer song. Tell you about some killer coffee from our fun friends at Dark Matter Coffee in Chicago. It's some of the finest coffee that I've ever had. And you can ask anyone who knows me. I'm very picky about my coffee. I drink it nearly every day. Uh, The best part is that you can get free shipping on their website at darkmattercoffee.com. If you use the code WANTEDAHITCAST, that's WANTEDAHITCAST at checkout, that'll get you free shipping from Dark Matter Coffee. Little code just for our listeners. And that's because we want to share this wonderful coffee with you. Buddy Holly was the second single from the Blue Album. Undone the Sweater Song was the first. I always thought that was a weird choice. What do you guys think? I do think that's a weird choice. That that's album's a, stacked. That's a super slow song. Yeah. Right, was that's what, what they said. Uh, 93, 94? Like, 94? Uh, this is yeah. 94, yeah. Undone, I feel like, is also a weird song. But it wasn't as big of a as big yeah. of a hit. Both songs are kind of like uh, like audio theatrics. Like they kind of put you in a scene. With Undone, you feel like you're in a party scene, and even with Buddy mm-hmm. Holly, because it starts out so strong and goes right into like the kind of the fight song vibes, it kind of play it out in your head almost. Which I don't know if that helps like with with making it popular, but I can imagine hearing the song on the radio for the first time and. You're just kind of oddly captivated by either one. Yeah, I think you're you're transported to a, another place. I think that's that's that whole record. I think every mm-hmm. song is like that. Yeah, it's it's probably I said top ten of all time, but it it might be top five most stacked of all I, time. Really I would agree. Skipping I would agree. Anything. I also find it strange that they didn't go with Say It Ain't So first, because that was their, like, breakout oh, yeah. hit in L.A. Mm. So, but maybe they were like, if the first two don't work, we've got a heavy hitter for number three. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, do you have any info on, like, what their label is thinking? I don't. I don't. And maybe Rick Ocasek was like, this is my favorite fucking song. It's got to be It's got to be a single. But I don't know. I mean, we're talking 90s, like, um, they're uh, still, when- they're testing this stuff, you know, they're they're... You know, so it, it has to come from something. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. They had money to do focus groups. Yeah, then. but it's still early enough where <laughs> if one radio DJ connects with it and puts it out, like it's still that period. I know that uh, Undone uh, started getting play on a big radio station in Seattle. Yeah, and that's, okay, that's how that song mm. start. That's how it started to pick up steam. 
Uh, the label had not spent much on promotion. In fact, they didn't even have a music video for Undone when it came out. And then they ended up making a video. They needed something to send to MTV. Mm. It did all right. Like it was a it was a great first single for the band, but things really took off when Buddy Holly came out. Like this was like Weezer had arrived. There is a uh, it's a very very common tactic for radio departments to put out the lesser of the singles first. If it's a brand new band, to test the waters to get radio DJs interested and, and uh, just kind of introduce the band. They don't usually for a new bands. They won't come out with their their what they feel like is their strongest song. So that mm-hmm. could be a reason why. Maybe they thought Buddy Holly was the strongest song, and they wanted to lead yeah. with one less. Maybe say it and so they really thought it was, and they thought they need they could lead with two. They had the might to lead with two. Maybe similar to the common practice of putting the best song on the record as track three, because you have two you have two to try to hook people, and then you know typically you'll give it a few songs. And the third one is a banger. First date was the third song on Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. <laughs> so. I love it. That's the first thing you thought was, of. <laughs> I think it was Anthem Part 2, Online Songs, and then First Date, I think. So interesting choice for that album. Love it. That's that's <laughs> great reference. Um, you guys should check out the uh, original cover art for Buddy Holly. Whoa. Weird. So that's is that him and a sibling? So that's him and a friend from when he was a kid. Very moody. Um and the photo fo- looks so adult. But there's a child in it other than Rivers and they couldn't find her to get her approval. So oh, wow. uh Geffen realized that they may be in an actionable position as I saw it stated and they quickly changed the cover to a photo of Rivers and his brother whose name is Leaves. Oh my god. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Family. Which made me... He has a page on Weezerpedia. That made me doubt the reasoning for Rivers then, because did you hear Leaves this time, lady? Or, like, what is right. that? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly it's a hippie. Uh, it sounds like they're hippies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they lived in a commune. <laughs> hey, so, Rivers is uh, better than Leaves. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Leaves but, uh, Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, and the link I just sent you is the the official cover art with rivers and leaves, and it's very cute. Oh, very cute. The shirt image. says leaves on it. <laughs> it does. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice yeah. that. I, I must be like a sport. The sports jersey. I think he's wearing it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I like his shoes. I never too. even they noticed look like that. Bands. They're two stylish little cats yeah. here with the, with the cuffed yeah. up jeans. Yeah. Yeah. Rivers has looked the same from day one, I take it. Yeah. Like, literally. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. So, the reason that we have the original cover art, that we can find it, is because they had already sent out all the copies to Australia. Oh. It, actually, the song was bigger in Australia before America, and they already had the, the singles. Weird. I feel like we haven't really addressed Buddy Holly or Mary Tyler Moore very much. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> um so this is super interesting uh speaking of parallels mary tyler moore uh her career took off when she began starring in the dick van dyke show in 1961 which was two years after buddy holly passed away in a plane crash nine years later mary had her own tv series the Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh, I watched it. Did you guys watch uh, that stuff when you were kids on like Nick at Night? And yeah. Stuff? Yeah. I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, I feel like I saw a lot more Dick Van Dyke than Mary Tyler Moore, but <laughs> Mary's show featured a catchy theme song that was performed by the Crickets, who were Buddy Holly's band. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, she was a huge Buddy Holly fan and made it a theme song. That's cool. Yeah. Fun. And Mary loved the song Buddy Holly and loved Weezer. No. And when she met them, she asked them to sign pictures for her. Oh, wow. I love that. I love that. Isn't that that amazing? That's so fucking cool. That's so weird. Like, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. Um, Well, almost as iconic as the song itself is the music video and it is time to dive in my friends let's go all right 
Here it is. We're going to watch it together. I'm a huge Happy Days fan, so I always love this video. Happy Days is great. So, this Happy show at the beginning, you wanted to see yes, it, the game show, tonight, sounds a lot like our podcast, Arnold's which is hilarious, yeah. like the, the name of it. So that was based, uh, you that was based on a real show called You Asked For It, and the clip is from episode 43 of Happy Days, in which Fonzie is on the show and jumps over 14 garbage cans on his motorcycle. <laughs> Okay, At the beginning, we have the Arnold's intro from Al, who, who's it's, er, from Arnold on the show. Weezer. But uh, the actor mm. is Al Molinaro, and he actually did a cameo for the video. Uh, oh, he, cool. He's the only Happy Days actor that actually appears in the video, um, which is pretty cool. This is very cool. I feel like in hindsight, Henry Winkler would have been down. He seems like such a cool guy. He really does. Uh, do you guys know who directed this video? Mm-mm. I hope Gary Marshall, but I don't think it's so. not Gary Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> Spike Jones. Uh, no. Yes. Oh no, shit. Spike Jones. Yeah, that's wacky. Yep. This is likely his most famous music video, next to Fatboy Slim's "Praise You" and Beastie Boys' "Sabotage." I'd say it's probably in that order. Those three. Wow. Those unaware, Spike was a skate video director who then moved on to music videos and then to film. He won an Oscar in 2014 for the film Her, and he co-created Jackass with Johnny Knoxville. That's right. Yes. Yes, I did know that, but I, it was somewhere in the yeah. back of my mind. Damn. <laughs> so did they know him through Johnny? Uh, they must have. I think they all just kind of hung around in the same circles, drinking cheap beer, playing basketball. So it was Spike's idea for the Happy Days concept, but it's because Rivers, as you know, huge nirvana fan which is so great because this is at the time that nirvana is still around we're going to take just a little break from the buddy holly video and if you haven't seen this it's a great video but check out the similarities this is the music video for in bloom by nirvana Mm. uh it had recently come out and uh cuomo was a huge fan and he wanted this whole old school thing with the band being introduced and then an audience that's not actually there and then the band giving like tongue-in-cheek like 50s performances i've never seen this wild that's wild oh it's great also what great song yeah the crowd too it's so it's genius love it matt sharp bass player says Mm -hmm. that uh they had a lot of trouble getting all the happy days actors to sign off on letting them i was gonna ask yeah uh, he's like, so we had to get, we had to get Potsy, we had to get Joni, and once Henry Winkler said he's in, everybody's oh, said, there you go. We're cool, we're oh, in. how about that? <laughs> so I feel like he would have wanted to be in the video. Definitely. Um, I, I feel like um, this episode of Happy Days was, you can correct me if I'm wrong, was famously a two-part episode, which is why you had the to be continued in the middle here. Oh, maybe. They did that often, so... um. I do know that the video um, Fonzie's Dance was performed uh, in in an episode uh, where he was dancing to the Hebrew folk song Hava Nagila, <laughs> the <laughs> wedding celebration song at you know Jewish. I events. Think I remember that. Yeah, I I didn't know what specific episode it was. No but, way. Yeah. Um, but what's so great is that there is no computer magic in this at all. It is straight up editing and recreating the set and then having extras fill in all the gaps uh, dressed up as Happy Days characters. They just used an old episode, got the one actor to introduce them and just pieced it all together. Oh, that's awesome. They rebuilt Arnold's. They did They did the whole thing, uh-huh. uh, which is amazing. Potsy, or the actor who played Potsy, uh, he uh, was not super happy about it. He was actually the one that that didn't like it. And uh, well, wasn't he happy? He about was part. Him. He's a fucking no. He wanted money. He wanted money. Uh, yeah, he wanted money. Oh my god! Um, What's wrong with so you? So he was. He he uh, sent. Uh, he sent his lawyers on Geffen, and David Geffen himself sent him a letter Ooh. telling him to back oh, off. Wow! He did. No I way. think he's. Yeah. Um, he's notoriously known as like a a problematic person. Really yeah. interesting. I also love that Buddy or that Rivers doesn't wear his like buddy holly looking yeah. glasses in the video <laughs> which he'd been wearing through four 
according to the pictures. Yeah, like, what the heck? It's so weird. <laughs> I also love that the Fonzie uh, double, the, the Fonzie stand-in, is the costume designer for the video, yeah. who ended up doing costume design for like all of Spike Jones's films. A big reason this song became a big hit is that every single copy of Windows 95, when it came out, had this music video loaded on what? it. <laughs> no. Yes. Of all the... What? Yes. In 19... 19- yes. That was, how was that yes. even top 50? So they were U2 before uh, U2? Oh, my God. Yeah, they were. Uh, Geffen ne- negotiated this this thing with Windows, with Microsoft, where Buddy Holly is wow. on every Windows 95 copy when what? it first came out. So cue Bill Gates and all of his friends dancing on that <laughs> yeah. stage really awkwardly. Should have been to Buddy Holly. Damn. Pat, the drummer, was actually pretty upset. He was like, how can they do this without asking us? But, you know, the label, they own the masters. They can do whatever. And he said, turns out it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to us. Can you imagine that happening today? It's like, there's one video on YouTube, and it's your video. Insane. <laughs> Um, and at this time, like they just really started to explode. Um, Brian Bell, uh, the rhythm guitarist in the band said it was literally like living inside the eye of a hurricane. People were telling me, you don't know how big this is. You're on windows 95. And he said, I don't have a computer. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Uh, and Pat again said they were just blowing up so quick that their, their shows were like they were playing venues that were too small. Uh, and then he said that it really clicked when there were kids like mobbing their tour bus and almost turned it oh, over. Oh shit. What? Yeah. And they were just like, this is so silly. This is crazy. And even more of a testament to how iconic this is, this video is in the Museum of Modern Art. Whoa. Where? Yes. That's fun. That's crazy. I don't know. I have a membership. I don't know, there. actually. I've gone many times. I've never seen it. Now well, you go should go see it. it. Uh, and they did, they like swept the VMAs that year. They won, they won for like best editing, best alternative video, best breakthrough video, best direction. So Spike Jones, uh, was up there. It's a lot of movement. Uh, with, with the band introduced by Dennis Rodman and Christopher Walken. <laughs> oh my God. And Christopher Walken would be in a Spike Jones video later. Uh, weapon of choice. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yes. Great video. Excellent video. Uh, of this time in their career, Brian Bell, this thing he said really stuck with me. He said, fame is never how you imagined it would be. It was disillusioning. I didn't like being recognized. I remember the first time we were on that Lush tour with the band Lush, and we saw kids running toward us, and we were like, holy shit, run. And Rivers said, being famous sucks. <laughs> uh, they have a mixed relationship with the video. Um Rivers has said he likes it a lot, but um, he felt like for a long time, to a lot of people, they were the band that did the Happy Days video. Mm. Um, but whatever their feelings have been, they did recreate the video on stage and wore all the cardigans and stuff. If you want to check that out. Yes. This was in 20, 2018. Full set. Everything. This is my, uh, my amphitheater growing up. Oh, wow. Mm. So as far as the charts go, uh, this did not enter the Billboard Hot 100. No shit. Nope. It reached number two on the U.S. Modern Rock Tracks chart and 34 on the U.S. Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. Uh, I don't think there's a Modern Rock chart anymore, so they don't have them on the Billboard website. So I couldn't find the chart itself. Um, But I can tell you uh, that it reached number six in canada number 12 in the united kingdom number 13 iceland and number 14 in sweden i also was able to find some information about what else was on the chart from katie atkinson uh who wrote uh a piece in billboard about weezer uh it said when weezer's self-titled debut album peaked on the billboard 200 chart in february 1995 Nearly nine months after its release on May 10th, 1994, exactly 25 years ago today from when this was written. Mm. It didn't quite fit in with its fellow rock offerings on the tally at the time. There was Green Day's Dookie at number two, Pearl Jam's Vitalogy at number five, The Offspring's Smash at number nine, 
Nirvana's MTV Unplugged at number 10, and R.E.M. Monster at number 14. And then at number 16 sat the 10-song, 41-minute opus known as The Blue Album, which could comfortably be labeled geek rock, power pop, early emo, any number of genres, really, but definitely not the then-dominant grunge. Yeah. Hard to disagree with that. Yeah. But I agree, it's alternative, though. It's super alternative for them. Oh, it definitely is. It's just um, a lot of that stuff was pretty dark pretty moody uh i mean green day was definitely a little goofy but it was fast and and loud weezer's slow and loud <laughs> yes <laughs> it is funny there that that first album is oddly poppy whenever i go back to it and yet when you talk about yeah. it it's not like saying you were in the like hansen and or britney spears or something but it's just uh, right. the people who like it aren't really like as poppy people as the music sounds if that makes sense i don't know how to explain it totally makes sense and i think um just goes to show like people who liked these other bands and liked a bunch of indie bands like they also liked weezer and it was probably a little bit of a sore thumb yeah buddy holly is the most often performed song in the weezer catalog rivers says it's his favorite song to perform live out of their whole catalog i'm surprised yeah i think it just holds a special place Well, yeah, I'd say so. Rolling Stone ranked Buddy Holly number 499 in its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what, what was 500? I don't know. I, well, I should have. They, got, they got right in front of someone. We'll report back on the next episode. <laughs> the song uh, was also certified, the digital version of Buddy Holly was certified gold in 2006. So that just goes to show how much people consume this song over time because itunes hadn't even been around for that long and it was already certified gold um and vh1 ranked it as number 59 in the 100 greatest songs of the 90s okay which is a pretty high distinction i think a lot of great songs in the 90s that's good um and merited i would say yeah oh i think so too uh it's a universally loved and and just super famous song that i think has just stayed in our cultural vernacular for such a long time which is amazing allmusic.com gives it a five out of five rating and it's an all music track pick so one of regarded as one of the best songs on there um and the song was ranked as the very best on the weezer blog teenage victory songs the song is truly what made weezer a household name a honestly weird song weird band yeah to be as massive as they are they're a very weird band yes without the early success they could not have gotten away with a lot of the weird shit they have done since and look some very big but weird songs i mean they're big you mentioned earlier a lot of hills i hate that song the past i hate uh, beverly hills but they put they put out some albums with like disgusting frequency uh, over the past like five years before I say this, actually, I have to remember, uh, I went to, I was actually with JP, who you guys know, uh, when we were yeah. 16, we went to Orlando and, uh, we were like going to Universal Studios and we found tickets on eBay for like 15 bucks to see Weezer at Hard Rock Live there. And it was being taped for the MTV show. So we went to this. It was great. Uh, and there are people there with like Pinkerton signs and blue album shirts and whatever. And, they played Beverly Hills. It had just come out. Crowd was not that enthused. as all diehard Weezer fans. And then Rivers said, uh, something happened with the taping. We have to play Beverly Hills again. And people started booing and throwing shit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and my then goodness. he said, I'll make it up to you. And then they transitioned Beverly Hills right into Surf Wax America. And the place went apeshit. I love that song. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I was about to get into uh, that. After this record, Weezer self-produced their next record, and it was weird as hell, and it was Pinkerton. Yeah. and Holds a special place in people's hearts. It debuted in a top spot, uh, and then it quickly fell. Uh, Rivers said it sold 10% of what Blue Album sold. And he said it was just such a personal album and such a a weird album that it just wasn't the right follow-up. But it is now regarded as 
one of the greatest alternative rock albums of all time. In fact, I think Rolling Stone had said that it was like one of the worst albums ever when it came out. And now they put it on their top list of best albums of all time. Oh, interesting. But it is, you know, it's, it's become a cult classic, a true yeah. cult classic. Um, and so that album tanked. Uh, Weezer ticket sales started to tank as well. And Rivers uh, took a long break from music. Uh, he went to college. He went to Harvard because uh, wow. he threatened to go to college before if the band didn't take off. Uh, he had been planning to go to UC Berkeley when that happened. And then he went to, well, he was at the community college, but he was planning to go to UC Berkeley. Uh, so he went to Harvard and he lived in the dorms, which is very odd oh, at really? that age and being that. a famous person. Um, and he did get surgery on his leg and had it extended. Whoa. Yeah. The they, bionic man. They basically oh. chopped his femur in half and stretched it out. <laughs> Jesus and Christ. He he now has uh two legs that are the same length. Modern Whoa. medicine. Yeah, it's crazy. What a marvel. Yeah, I know. Uh sadly, Matt Sharp left the band, the bass player. Um he was uh also in another band called The Rentals. Uh and he was more focused on that. Uh and he says he was fired. The band says he quit. Uh, mm. So I don't know nah. what the real story is there. I have a feeling Matt's probably correct. Yeah, uh, like and it was, was a, it was it was an ugly breakup. Um, Matt's falsetto vocals are a big part of those first two records, um, and he was a very theatrical uh, performer. And uh, there is an SNL skit which you guys have probably seen, where. There's a it's a dinner table with a family at the holidays and Matt Damon is arguing with another family member about how after Matt Sharp left Weezer the band really dropped off. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I don't think I've seen that. That's awesome. It's such a deep cut. It's such a deep cut. I'll send it to you so you can check it out. I forgot after about that. dinner. I'm looking him up right now. Yeah. But Weezer uh reunited in 1999 and they made the green album which is an album that i really enjoy but i know is a widely debated album uh and they've come out with many albums since they've sold 10 million albums in the u.s and 35 million worldwide they're still touring i think they just put out a record pretty recently they're a weird band they're often uh divisive but uh i think it's hard to argue with how iconic and amazing this song is and the blue album is just perfect i think it's a perfect record you mentioned green album so i feel like it's an appropriate time that i mentioned that when that song came out or the album came out keep fishing for the video mm, featuring the muppets yes and well, that was that, maladroit oh it was maladroit. you're right maladroit. right right uh well that year i went as rivers cuomo for uh for halloween what and i have a kermit the the kermit stuffed animal with a weezer shirt on it and I dressed up like oh, uh, like Rivers. That's awesome, dude. You that I was trying to find a picture. I couldn't. Oh, I was trying to find one on uh, Facebook, or something, but it, it's too. I'm sure it's somewhere. I'll find uh, if we could mom use that have to somewhere. promote the episode, that would be perfect. Yeah, no, oh my I'll, god, I'll, you got to find I'll that. Call up you mom. Find that. <laughs> I wanted to sum up all of this story of this album that is clearly important to all of us, and this very this very strange song. Uh, I'm going to go back to Katie Atkinson who. Uh, wrote the piece in Billboard about Weezer and the Blue Album in particular in 2019. She said, that's precisely why we're still thinking and talking about this album all these years later. It didn't chase any current trends or templates, but took an entirely new, decidedly uncool path. The help of the car's Rick Ocasek, who produced the album, Weezer went against the mumbled lyrics and muddled colors grain to offer up songs that are fun and funny and a distinct melancholy that isn't far from the surface. It also spoke to a whole new audience. Yes, grunge had its fair share of angst, but there are no mentions of Dungeons and Dragons or X-Men in any Alice in Chains songs. If grunge was the response to the pretty boys of hair metal, Weezer was a response to the druggy darkness of grunge. Its electric blue cover announced a brand new sound that coaxed pop culture nerds out of the garage and onto the billboard charts. Wow. And further Love in that, that piece, writer Chris Payne says of buddy holly 
It set the tone for the quirky power pop they'd work to perfect for the rest of their careers. The 4-4 stomp and verse-chorus framework are as traditional as Arnold's drive-in. Yet it's hard to imagine another band pulling off bassist Matt Sharp's adorable pre-chorus falsetto or Cuomo's absurd rap-along bridge. <laughs> wow. And that, no lie. Very that well is Buddy Holly ah, by Weezer. That was amazing. Really, that was amazing. Uh, wow. Something that you've been listening to your whole life and then go underneath like that. That was fascinating. Uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I was a little nervous because I knew it was a favorite of yours and I don't want to change your perception of it too much, but I feel like it was for the better. Yes, it enhanced it. It's just like learning when your dad tells you a super cool story about himself when he was young (laughs) or something and then your dad becomes even cooler. That's how it felt. Yeah, that's such a great analogy. But I'm so glad you were here along for the ride. Amr, it's great to have you on the show. Let the people know what's what's going on with you and perhaps your your new podcast. Sure, yeah, thank you. Well, first off, thank you. This was really fun. I mean, you two are among my closest friends in the world, and I just really had a blast. And the song you picked was like, uh, this was just a treat. There was almost something therapeutic about it. And this is an excellent show, and you guys do a great job with it. So you're really doing a service for everybody uh what's going on with me um lots of fun acting stuff uh you can check it out on my some of it on my website uh amrkotv.com um yeah lots of auditions maybe something cool happened maybe not we'll see that's the actor's life i did learn today that you have an imdb page i did not know that i do yes it's pretty awesome i didn't know that either i mean check it out you'll see (laughs) it's not you know my stuff is on there but you know check it out check it out um but yeah and check out the podcast it's fun it's creepy the coolest thing about this podcast was that it was about an egyptian american uh who goes back to egypt and that's obviously something near and dear to me that i got to do with a lot of uh, fun uh and creativity so Thanks, guys. Yeah, man. Uh, you, yeah, man. check out Long Night in Egypt. It's great. Uh, and I'm happy we could cross-promote our podcast. Hell yeah. Very fun. I'm very excited to see what you guys uh, do next. Congratulations on two years. Thank Here's you. Here's to many, many, many more. And, and I look uh, forward to buying some one of those windbreakers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably same day this this episode drops. We'll, uh, we'll be live at ywahpod.com with some merch and uh another way for you to keep up with what's going on with the show most definitely and with that i will uh have buddy holly stuck in my head for the foreseeable future it's such a catchy song it's not gonna leave not a bad song to be caught in your head great song not at all definitely listening to it as soon as i end this call (laughs) (laughs) and you have to watch the snl skit oh my god i'm I'm watching that right now Yeah. yeah Uh, I'll probably watch it again. It's so. I remember when it came out. I was like, "There's no fucking way that they have a skit, a skit about." That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting that song out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if you listen on Apple, write a review, but only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHPod and let us know what you think. Or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at YWAHPod at gmail.com. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Bible. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.